Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 254. In the coming days, I want to talk to you about the church in America and the church around the world. Because the church in America is not what the church around the world is. Many places in the world, the church of Jesus is experiencing the greatest revival ever known in the history of the church in the last 2,000 years. There is a great movement of God in Asia and Southeast Asia. There's a great movement of God in the Middle East. There's a great movement of God in Africa and South America and Central America. We're seeing God move in supernatural ways in the great islands of the Pacific. But what's going on in North America? What's going on in Western Europe? Well, we have become smarter than God in our own thinking. And we feel like if we could just market well enough and we could just strategize well enough and we could just witness long enough, then people are going to come into our churches by droves. They're going to hear the gospel and they're going to be gloriously saved. Well, the reality is we have turned the church of Jesus into a crusade every Sunday. It's a place where we try to get people in no matter what it takes. We get them in. What does it take to get you in? Oh, we'll do that. You don't want to come, but once a week, hey, that's no problem with us. We're just glad you're here. Hey, you don't have to do anything. No commitment from you. There's uh, Everything here is just free as a bird, and you come in because we're not going to ask you to commit to anything because we know you don't like to commit to things in this generation. This is the kind of ideas and strategy that I'm hearing. And I'm telling you, this is not going to challenge anybody, especially this generation in which we're living, to come to Christ, to follow him. You see, what worked in the first century still works today. People are looking for purpose. They are looking for something that will challenge them. And we are not challenging this generation. I often talk with college age and 20-somethings and 30-somethings. And you know what they're wanting? They're wanting authenticity. They're tired of plastic Christianity. And I have found out that those who want the dancing on stage and the jumping around and rock concert kind of entertainment on Sunday morning, many times that's not the people that are coming that design that and uh, designed for, but rather it's the pastor and the staff because many times they're my age in their 60s, and that's what uh, they wanted when they were younger, and so they think that's what everybody wants. But it sooner or later has to get down to the the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have to tell people that they're sinners and separated from God. And we have to help them to understand that only a radical turning to God in repentance is going to allow God to do the change in his life and her life that needs to be done. And so what's happening in our churches? 
Again, we're floundering. We don't know where we're going. There's not solid Bible preaching and teaching anymore. We think we have to entertain. And we can't do it as well as the world. I can just tell you we can't. They do it better than we do. But the church of Jesus was never called to entertain and make people feel comfortable and happy. The church of Jesus was never designed, listen to me, where we meet together in fellowship was never designed as an evangelistic center and crusade. It was designed for edification of the believer. You can go back in the book of Acts. We can't change the pattern. It's there. As much as we want to rewrite and be revisionist to history, we cannot do it. The pattern of the New Testament is the believers came together for study, for encouragement, for edification, for fellowship, to continue in the apostles' doctrine, to learn about who Jesus is, to learn about the great plan of God and the great story of God. And then they would go out into their families, their homes, their workplaces, the marketplace. There they would change their communities. They would change their regions. That's the strategy of Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, and everywhere they went, they shared the gospel. They didn't go somewhere to share the gospel. They shared the gospel as they went, as they journeyed, because that's the plan of God anywhere, everywhere that God opens the door, then we share the gospel, because if God opens the door, he's already opened the door to that person's heart. When are we going to get it that only God can change a person's heart? Only God can give a man a want to. Only God can draw that man to himself. Now, don't try to categorize me as a Calvinist or an Arminian. I am neither. I am reading the Bible and applying it to life, and I'm seeing God change lives, and I'm seeing this as I study the annals of church history everywhere that we let God be God, and we're trusting Him, and we're praying to Him, and we're praising Him, and we're seeking His face, and that is the priority, then God's people are going to be sharing the gospel. It is to love God with all of our hearts. It is to love other people in the way that Jesus has loved us, conditionally reaching out to them, sharing with them, being Jesus to them, and God supernaturally opens their heart. We build relationships with them that last forever because we are not interested in just getting them to Jesus and baptizing them. That is just the initial step in a great life of discipleship and of learning, of growing, of applying Scripture to our lives and becoming more and more like Jesus in how we talk, how we live, what we say, where we go what we do. He is our life. He is the one who controls our lives. Now, when you read the book of Hebrews, it is the most Jewish of all of the New Testament, the Berit Hadashah, the New Covenant. And when you come to chapter 13, Paul, who I believe is the one who dictated to Luke, his amanuensis, his secretary, the words of Luke, it's Luke's style, but it's Paul's theology. As Luke writes this down, he puts it in the language that is understandable for not just the Jewish person, as Paul was, a great rabbinical scholar, but also in the language of the people that would read this on down the line. And so we are those. And when we come to chapter 13, remember, this these were just closing words. There were no chapter divisions when this was written out. It struck me as I read through all of these admonitions, these commands, that to do the opposite of these things is absolutely the quickest way to kill a church. So I want to talk to you about a dozen ways to kill a church over the coming days. 
ways and then the opposite of that, a dozen ways that Surefire will build a church anytime, anywhere, any continent, any state, any city, because it's God's way. The first one in chapter 13, the first admonition. The first address is let brotherly love continue. (laughs) So if you want to kill a church, then don't be a loving fellowship with true brotherly love. Just tear everybody's heads off when they don't agree with you. Cut everybody down that doesn't agree with you. Make sure that everybody knows that you're going to have your say. It doesn't matter if you offend people or if you hurt people. Just make sure that everybody knows you're going to have your say and you're not going to treat people like Jesus has treated you. You're going to love those who love you. You're going to pat those on the back who pat you on the back. You're going to wave at those who wave at you. You're going to, in other words, you're going to act just like the world and there's no brotherly love. Well, that's a surefire way to kill a church in any fellowship. Verse two says, do not forget to entertain strangers for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. And so the second way to kill a church is don't show hospitality to anyone except those in the home group, those that you know, those that you're comfortable with. Don't you dare reach out and try to love on somebody that's come in that's not like you, that doesn't think like you, that doesn't look like you, that doesn't dress like you. How dare you do that? No, that's a no-no in a church that's dying because you see, it is me and my four no more. We've got to be comfortable with the people we're around. I mean, isn't that the way it is? And, you know, I just like to be around people that just fellowship with me. And we all go out and eat together and we don't invite anybody else. We just we want to be out with people that we're comfortable with. And it's not a click. It's just, you know, this is just the way it is. Birds of a feather flock together. And so, well, that's the second way to kill a church. Number three, do not ever try to have special ministries, uh, especially to those who are suffering, those who have messed up, those who have hurt. That's exactly what the writer of the book of Hebrews says. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them and those who are mistreated since you yourselves are in the body of Christ. In other words, we never need to identify with those who are being persecuted, either around the world or in our own area. If somebody really stands up and makes a stand for Jesus in our church, what we need to do is put our finger up in the air and and see what how the wind's blowing politically. And if, and if it looks like they're going to get sawed up and their head chopped off, what we want to do is stay as far away from them as we possibly can because we don't want to get painted with a radical brush. We want to make sure that nobody thinks we're an extremist or a a conspirator in some kind of theory. You see, all of these things are devices that the enemy uses to keep us from identifying with people that really believe like we do. Maybe they are not all that they need to be, but they're going in the right direction. Why don't we encourage them to keep on keeping on and maybe walk alongside them and help them if there are areas where they are offensive and not the message that they're speaking about, but they're personally offensive, uh, let's help them to maybe uh, get in line more with doing things in a loving way. But I want to tell you, the Lord Jesus did everything right. He always said what he should have said just when he should have said it, never said anything that he shouldn't have said at any time. He always did 
did what he should have done just when he should have done it, and he never did anything that he shouldn't have done. He always had the proper facial expressions. He always had the proper tone of voice, and they put him on a cross. And he said, if you are his follower, you are no greater than your Lord. We're servants. And if they did this to our Lord, they're going to do it to us. Sometimes we get ashamed of people who really stand up and are counted and and are bold and are courageous. We say, I don't know, boy, nobody's going to listen to them. Well, they listen to Jesus. And he said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. But if they kept my words, they will keep yours. And so whatever we do, let's not have any kind of special ministry to prisoners or to the jails or anything like that, because those people are bad. They messed up. I think you get the idea. Verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed is undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. The church of Jesus, if we're going to kill it, then what we need to do, whatever we need to do, we don't need to stress purity, sexual and uh, marital faithfulness, and and purity within marriage. We need to be open-minded if we're going to kill the church. We've got to make sure that everybody knows that it's okay to sleep around. It's okay to think anything you want to. You can be a homosexual, transgender. You can do whatever. We don't need to judge those people. We just need to encourage them and put our arms around them and say, hey, I'm okay. You're okay. You want to kill a church? Just don't stress moral and sexual purity and go along with the crowd. Verse 5 says, let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, don't give to the church, really. Don't give to the church any more than you have to. When there's something real big and you can get some attention, do that. But whatever you do, don't give over and above any kind of tithe or anything like that because what you need to do is make sure that uh, nobody gets ahead of you in the church. And uh, if somebody else gets a new car, you need to get one to match them. Whatever it takes. It doesn't matter if you got to go in dead head over heels. Make sure that you and the church are are keeping up with everybody else. You see, that's covetousness. God says it'll kill a church, and it will. Then the scripture says in verse 7 that we need to remember those who rule over us, who have spoken the word of God uh, to us, whose faith following considering the outcome of their conduct, of their behavior. Whatever you do, if you want to kill a church, don't recognize godly leadership. I can't even tell you how many times people have come out and said to me, especially in the country, it's funny, people come out and say, well, preacher, I don't want to blow your head up now, and I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to encourage you any and, and uh, make you proud because I don't want to blow your uh, skirt up. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to blow your head up. I, I just stop and say, you know, if it's country people, I just say, listen, I don't know many preachers that have died of a blowed up head, but I know many that have died of discouragement. They've quit out of discouragement because they felt like nothing they were doing was pleasing to God or his people because they never heard an encouraging word. So the scripture says, remember those who have the rule over you, those who are in leadership. And then let me just give you one more. If you want to kill a church, 
whatever you do, don't make much about Jesus. Don't talk about Jesus all the time and how how faithful he is and how wonderful he is and how precious he is. Uh, You know, talk about the Jesus of today, not the Jesus of yesterday. You know, the Jesus is relative to where we are and that he's conforming to what we believe. Well, verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 13 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to be Christocentric. We need to center around the Messiah and the Lordship of Christ. Why? Because he is Lord. He is Messiah. He is the anointed one. And he is the same yesterday and today and forever. And that's not just in the category of provision. That is in the category of holiness. That's in the category of justice. That's in the category of love. He's the same God he's always been because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, we're just halfway through and how to kill a church. I think you're getting the idea. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.